Welcome to Recover Strong, a show that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. I'm Jessica Flint, founder of Recovery Warriors, and you are listening to our podcast channel created specifically for you in all the stages and phases of recovery. I want to celebrate you for carving out this special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. I'm your host, Andrea Wells. And just like you, I understand what it's like to live with an eating disorder and be held back by body image struggles. The recovery journey is ongoing, and we're all in it together as we learn to embrace new behaviors and new thoughts day by day. Join me as I connect with eating disorder experts and thought leaders to give you the tools, resources, and strategies you need to recover strong. Hello and welcome back, Warriors. Today, I am giving you a sneak peek into an exclusive expert Q&A session that occurred live inside the Courage Club recently. Each month, we do a deep dive into a topic with a leading expert, and this one was all about digestion and gut health with gastroenterologist Dr. Jordan Shapiro. He provided so many insights as he answered member questions about all things related to eating disorders and the GI system, including abdominal pain, bloating, diarrhea, and constipation. In today's snippet, you'll hear Dr. Jordan Shapiro explain just exactly what the gastrointestinal system is, the impacts that different eating disorders can have on it, and one important bodily process called the accommodation reflex. So if you struggle with restrictive eating and find that you get full really fast and it can feel so hard to eat more, you will definitely want to tune in to what he says here. Everything you'll learn today is from the first 20 minutes of the Q&A, and if you want to get full access to this hour and a half session and the opportunity to directly ask questions and engage with experts, plus active daily support for your recovery, visit www.jointhecourageclub.com to get on the Courage Club waitlist, and we'll notify you when we open doors again. Once again, that is jointhecourageclub.com. Now let's get into this Q&A with Dr. Jordan Shapiro, featuring Jessica Flint, the founder of Recovery Warriors as host. Let's dive in. Welcome, everybody. I am so excited to have our guest expert here. Now we have Dr. Jordan Shapiro, who's coming all the way broadcasting from Houston, Texas. Now we met at a Innovations for Eating Disorder Treatment Conference in Houston and immediately connected over our shared experience of recovery. So not only is Jordan a practicing gastroenterologist, he is also a recovery warrior who has his own experience of recovering from an eating disorder, which we can get into more today. He is a dedicated father to his six-year-old son, a garden enthusiast, and just the most compassionate medical provider that I've met who really puts the patient first. A lot of times people say that, but he truly does care so much about each and every one of his patients. So today we all get to pick the brain of an amazing doctor. And I know so many of you guys have struggled with these common GI complaints, whether it's bloating or constipation, diarrhea, 
um, abdominal pain. These are so common in the eating disorder recovery process. So Jordan is a wealth of information and we're just very excited to have him here with us. So everybody give him a warm welcome in the chat. Let him know the love and we'll be going through all your questions. And if you have more, we will save them towards the end. So Dr. Jordan Shapiro, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. And it's a, it's an, a, an area of passion of mine. And thank you. You are very passionate about it. I can tell. <laughs> so, so I'm like, this is our go-to expert here. Uh, so just like for a broad general overview, like what is the GI system? So when we're talking about GI complaints, or, you know, gut health, what is the, the GI system? It's a great question. So I, I think about it like the the tube. So there's a tube that runs from our mouth to our anus at the other end. And uh, we, we eat food goes into it. And every single segment of it is incredibly highly specialized uh, to, to perform specific functions. And then along the way in the tube, there are various accessory organs that attach to it. And you know, pump different digestive enzymes or bile types of things into um, the bowel. So if it's okay, I mean, it can take two minutes and kind of just walk from the top to bottom to give people a little orientation. So, I mean, when we eat, the first step is actually, uh, you know, putting the food in our mouth and chewing it where it mixes with saliva. Saliva lubricates things. It has actually certain digestive enzymes, especially for carbohydrates to start the process of breaking things down and for fats. And then when we push little pieces of what we're chewing into the back of our throat, actually, as soon as we start to swallow, everything until we need to poop is automated. So, you know, think, think heavens, you don't have to like think your food along the GI track and it, and it does that for us. Um, but as soon as we swallow it, uh, the esophagus starts to, on its own, the food tube from the mouth to the stomach um, starts to contract and push the food down in a very, uh, very well organized pattern of, of squeezes or contractions. Um, there's a little ring of muscle at the end of the esophagus that opens as soon as we swallow so that the food can pass into the stomach and then it closes so things don't reflux back up. Uh, and then in the stomach, they're kind of two main processes that happen. It's the, everyone kind of knows of the churning of the stomach. It grinds the food up, um, but it also makes acid and some other digestive um, proteins that help break down specifically proteins. Um, and uh, once the food is kind of ground and digested and broken into uh, a liquid, liquid-like substance, um, the outflow of the stomach opens and it's incredibly well regulated to, to only let things that are like two to three millimeters or, or less through, um, which is incredible. I think um, we think about it as this big, you know, bag that just kind of grinds stuff up, but it's incredibly well regulated by hormones, by nerves. Um, the food that goes into the small intestine, then that's where we absorb all our nutrients. Um, and so the small intestine is a between 15 to 20 feet long in adults. There are three sections of it. A lot of the absorption happens in the in the upper parts. Um, and there are these little finger-like projections along the way called microvilli that absorb all the nutrients. Um, in the beginning part of that, just past the stomach, um, there's a very important opening where bile from the liver drains from the bile ducts into the intestine and the pancreas uh, puts digestive enzymes into the, to the bowel. The digestive enzymes break down fats, proteins, carbohydrates, 
bile is like a detergent. So, um, and that can have some relevance for some of the disorders we'll talk about later, but bile, if you think about like a, a um, washing, everyone's favorite thing, laundry and washing dishes. But if you think about washing a pan with grease on it, uh, if you just use water, you'll be there all day scrubbing it. But if you use some detergent, it breaks it into little tiny fat globules and it lets it scrub off. So bile does the same thing for us. It helps to break uh, or emulsify fat into little droplets so that we can actually absorb it. Um, the gallbladder is attached to the bile ducts that come out of the liver, helps store a little bit of extra in case we have a bit you know, a higher fat meal. So we have a little reserve and all that, again, is just incredibly synchronized and orchestrated to help us digest our food. Um, passes through the small intestine. Along the way, nutrients are taken out. Uh, there's um, a lot of uh, fluid that's secreted and then reabsorbed. And then it gets to the colon, which um, is about four feet long in most adults. It's much larger caliber along the colon as things move towards the end, the rectum and the anus, water gets absorbed. Um, so, you know, in a normal setting, we have solid formed stool. Um, and then once it gets to the end, there's a very incredible um, set of reflexes where we, this rectum stretches with stool, we feel the urge to go. And there are little sphincters down there that kind of relax so that we can pass a stool. And we have control over the one at the very bottom where if you squeeze like around the anal area um, right now sitting here, you have some control, but the whole urge to go and the relaxation of everything else down there to get ready to pass a stool is automated. Um, and then fortunately we have control over the final say so that we don't walk around pooping on ourselves. Um, <laughs> So that's that's kind of a, a quick run through like passage through the GI tract. And um, and I think helpful just because we'll talk about how some of those normal things become abnormal with um, disordered eating. And there's so many organs involved, though. So if it seems like it's very uh, well orchestrated, how everything works together in sync. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, and there's uh, there's a there's a very interesting quote from a colorectal surgeon once who said, we always think about our hands as these exquisitely sensitive, you know, um, uh, parts of our body where we can distinguish different textures. But um, they said, you know, if you think about like the anal rectal canal, I mean, it can usually distinguish is this <laughs> urge that I'm getting? Is it solid? Is it liquid? Is it gas? so that we know what's passing. And while it's kind of goofy to think about, it's also, it is pretty incredible that what we usually think of as just this tube has so many specialized functions. Yeah. So how do, when we look at like the different subtypes of eating disorders, and let's just for today focus on, you know, anorexia, restriction, uh, bulimia with purging behaviors and in binge eating, do you see differences that arise for people who have different types of eating disorders and the impacts of that on the GI system? Yeah, I think, you know, by far the most common types of disorders that we see are what, what we often call either motility disorders where the nerves and muscles become, um, the function becomes abnormal. So things either move too quickly through, move too slowly through parts of the GI tract, or um, that there's increased sensation where things are hurting without a clear structural cause. The, so we'll, and we'll talk a lot about those because those include things often like, um, 
gastroparesis where the stomach empties slowly, um, irritable bowel syndrome-like symptoms, which is pain and either diarrhea or constipation or, or both. And then there are also structural things that can happen. And those are things that probably are a little bit more specific to like purging. For instance, we see patients who get um, little tears in the end of the esophagus called Mallory Weiss tears, where they may see some blood come up with, um, with vomiting. Um, a more serious injury to the esophagus called Boerhaav syndrome, which is just, it's literally a rupture of the esophagus, which is a surgical emergency. Um, sometimes we'll see, you know, acid reflux like changes where there are ulcerations in the end of the esophagus. Um, but a lot of the things that we see, the most common symptoms don't actually have a structural abnormality that you'd see either during like an endoscopy from above or a colonoscopy or, or a CAT scan. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, I think that those disorders that where the, the nerves get impacted and either sensation or movement is abnormal are much more common than structural things. And then, you know, the other, the other group of, um, uh, disorders that are changes that we'll sometimes see are kind of related more to the microbiome. And we don't have a terribly well, a good way of testing that accurately to say, you know, it started at point A and it got to point B, but there's a lot of research going on about the um, bacteria in our gut and how those change from normal to abnormal states and the impact of fasting, the impact or restrictive eating, the impact of um, you know, over-exercising, for instance, can change those. We just don't yet have science to identify like the exact pattern to be able to change it. So, but think about your know, most common thing are kind of changes in the nerves, which is either sensation or movement too fast, too slow, um, changes in the microbiome, which often manifests as bloating, gas, distension, which are very common um, issues in patients, uh, individuals with eating disorders. And then the, the least common, or I think what a lot of patients fear the most is, I mean, I can remember like when I was in active eating disorder and purging, I mean, I can remember just having that fear, like, is this the time that's going to like irreparably destroy my esophagus? And, and I think that those, like the combination of shame and fear actually keep a lot of people from seeking care because even though the most common things can cause a lot of distress and symptoms. Most of them are not actually like irreversible, irreparable, like permanent damage to the GI tract, um, which is important for people to know because I think we, we tend to kind of catastrophize and think, gosh, you know, those things can happen. But um, yeah, I think that combination of just shame and fear and all those things, a lot of people just, we just keep going and we're like, well, I've made it this far. And so hopefully this next time isn't the, isn't the, the one. Um, so, yeah. So the way I see it, when you're saying this, like structurally, if I, if I understand that structurally, you mean like the tube is like all good, like, like, yeah. but it's yeah. almost like the, it's the motility and the sensations, but I kind of get this sense like tube, like a car, if we were to like keep riding without changing the oil every time we're like, is this the time the check engine lights on? Like, is this the yeah. like, so like, it's you know the check engine lights on your motility's having an issue you're it's either too fast or too slow or the sensations are being would the sensations be lost or like over is it it's, both like a hyper sensation or it's often, a it's often increased so pain um feeling distension at you know at amounts of actual like gas in the the bowel that are 
they're not that abnormal. It's just we feel them at lower thresholds. And the and the motility stuff, I mean, examples just to kind of map it onto like, well, what would I feel? So, I mean, swallowing and feeling like food gets stuck as it's passing down. Um, while there are a number of things that can cause that, that include, you know, masses and strictures where it's scarred, closed, the majority of the time when that shows up, um, in, you know, in patients with eating disorders or disordered eating, everything is is normal appearing um and it's just the movement of the esophagus just becomes sluggish due to often restrictive intake or um if repetitive purging then sometimes that can just kind of impact the nerves and and we see that you know in other things too if somebody gets a stomach bug um, and they're vomiting and having diarrhea, even if they don't have an eating sort of baseline, sometimes that just sort of stuns the system for a period of days or weeks or even occasionally longer, but usually they will recover. And so we'll talk more about, I know in some of the later questions about the, the prognosis for things getting better with recovery is actually um, usually very good. And so, um, yeah, I, I think about it. I mean, it's, it's different, but it kind of, a lot of the and symptoms are very similar to what we see in patients who might get a stomach bug and just not get better afterwards for longer. That's good to, for people to hear because I know that was a question that came up, like what are the long-term consequences of this? So like in the mm -hmm. moment, it feels like this is forever, but the mm -hmm. body is able to heal itself. It is able to repair increased motility or decreased motility and yeah. the sensation yeah, it's incredibly resilient. I mean, even the the microbiome and the bacteria, like taking an antibiotic or doing a colonoscopy and drinking all the laxative to flush things out. I mean, in the in the week or two afterwards, there's complete disarray of normal bacteria and it looks horrible. And in a normal state, within two week period, that bounces back to normal. And so I think a lot of the longer term issues people have are still still can get better. But I think some of the reason that sometimes the symptoms persist is repetitive insults to the system, even though it's pretty resilient with, you know, a, a one or two insults. I think when it's repetitive, there is a potential that those changes can be longer lasting, but still, even, even with that, like the majority of patients get a lot better with, uh, with recovery. And do you think that is like, I've always, and you know, I could be, this is non-medical the way I, I see it, but just like that we have to earn our body's trust back because mm -hmm. I always kind of see if you're like restricting so much, the body's like, I'm going to go in like low maintenance mode. I'm not going to do anything. Like I'm going to like check out, you know? And then yeah. that's why like, why aren't you moving? <laughs> it's like, well, like you're not, you know, you sure. haven't really like checked in. So anyways, I know that's a very simplified way of looking at it, but when people do it. start giving themselves more regular feeding, more adequate nutrition, the body does start to like jump on board with time when it earns stress back. Absolutely. I think that the two most common symptoms, which are often overlapping, we see that with our um, patients who get slowed emptying of the stomach called gastroparesis um, and an overlapping syndrome called functional dyspepsia, which is that like often I eat and I take two bites and I'm stuffed and I know I need to eat more, but I can't. And so that's actually loss of a, a nerve reflex that we all have at baseline called the accommodation reflex. So I always tell my patients, if you think about like an accommodating family member or friend, like if you're driving through town and you need a place to stay and you call them, like they will make room for you. Our stomach actually in a normal state does that. As soon as food 
is coming down the, the food tube, the esophagus, even before it hits the stomach, the upper part of the stomach actually expands to make room for it. And um, that can get lost in, uh, especially in restrictive types of eating disorders. And so that does recover with recovery. Um, and there's actually a, a medication sometimes that can help just be a little nudge to, um, to be able to tolerate that. Um, and so we see that with and without actual objective signs that the stomach isn't fully emptying normal, but it, they often go together can be, can be seen even if the stomach empties normal that people are just like, I don't feel nauseous. I'm not vomiting. I just, I take two bites and I'm, I'm uncomfortable. Wow. That's so fascinating. Cause I know it's such a common experience with people who are recovering from restriction. So literally yeah. they could just say like, I have to learn how to accommodate. I can accommodate more food but right now. We kind of lost that a connection to be able to accommodate yeah. more. Yeah. So what's yeah. the, but is it then to not stop and be like, well, doesn't work for me. It is about to start to gradually increase yeah. that accommodation through, through regular eating. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It isn't just to know that they're not causing, you know, we often associate symptoms with especially pain and discomfort with evolutionarily, like there's a threat to me, like, you know, pain, stay away from pain. And, and in this case, I think just understanding that they're not causing damage or harm. It's, it's a little uncomfortable. There are some medicines that can help with the pain piece. There's a medicine called, you know, buspirone that is off label has been studied for just the loss of that accommodation reflex, not specifically studied in patients with eating disorders, but, uh, and, and it actually, it can help. And I've used it in quite a few patients successfully just to get over the hump until they're able to tolerate enough and recover. So, you know, I, that is a, I know in a lot of medical um, talks, it's like, you have to be very explicit. This is an off-label use of a medication, but um, it is a medicine that there's some research for, and it's it's kind of a niche thing, but it is, it can be really, really helpful just as a, to throw out a tip to talk to doctors about if people. Well, it's just so helpful too, to know like this is to be expected. You know, like this is normal, this accommodation reflex or, you know, lack of it, it's normal to have that and to push through it. Yeah. Well, Warrior, did you learn something new? You just heard the first 20 minutes of an exclusive expert Q&A session inside the Courage Club with gastroenterologist Dr. Jordan Shapiro. Today, we covered what the gastrointestinal system is, the impacts that different eating disorders can have on it, and the accommodation reflex. And I want to highlight something that came up in the full conversation that you didn't hear today. Dr. Jordan Shapiro shared a very important point that the number one way to treat your gastrointestinal health issues related to an eating disorder is to recover from an eating disorder. Remember that recovery is possible, no matter how long you've been struggling. Your body and mind are resilient. Keep taking steps towards recovery and you can get there. If you want to access the full hour and a half Q&A, get inside the Courage Club. Visit www.jointhecourageclub.com to get on the wait list and we'll notify you when we open doors again. Inside the Courage Club, you'll get exclusive access to a library of expert sessions like this one, a structured path to follow and daily active support to stay on it. Okay. 
Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior.